0: Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, thank you oh so much for the many blessings you've already poured upon us. And now the awesome opportunity once again to get back into the study in your Word. Help us now as we do that. So pray in Jesus' precious holy name, Amen. Continuing our study in the Word of God, in our chronological study or timeline study, we pick it back up here in Genesis chapter 8. And here we've seen... in. Chapter 6 and 7 is the, the flood coming upon the entire earth, covering everything all the way over top of the, the mountains. As it says, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. So everything covered by the water. And what happened was the firmament dumped all the water from it, as well as the fountains of the deep, cracking open the earth's crust and the waters coming out of the earth, coming up and totally covering everything and killing every air-breathing critter that was on the earth and all the fowl of the air, all the people except those that were preserved by the Lord within the ark. And we see this picking up now in chapter 8. It reads, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged, assuaged or ceased, stopped. So verse 2, The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the hundred and fifty days the waters were abated abated which is basically dried up start to pull back stopped and verse 4 and the ark rested in this seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat and the waters decreased continually until the tenth month In the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen we have the account of the waters being over everything and then the waters decreasing so how would the waters suddenly just decrease some of the water would go back into the ground into some of those crevices that were opened up the fountains of the deep and some of it was moving and pushing the earth in such a way the weight of the waters that some of the land come up was forced up by the pressure of the water in the other areas the lord basically was re-sculpting the planet and he re-sculpted it in a different way than it was prior to the flood prior to the flood there was one continent one land mass and then the water around it And then afterwards, he broke it up into different land masses, a purpose for that. As we see in chapter 11, when he divides the nations and sends them in different directions, the way he sculpted the the earth with the different continents all served a purpose. But now here's a place where you might get some confusion between verses 5 and then when it continues into verse 6 on the timeline as it says here in verse 6, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days. 40 days from when is where there has been some confusion. Some people say, okay, this is 40 days after the 150 days that he just mentioned. But no, this is not in line in the timeline of events from verse 5 to first verse 6. you got to go back. When you get to verse 6, it's sort of, well, let's look back at what, Happened up to the point of verse 5. So in 6 it reads, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. Because see, at this time when he released that dove, the waters hadn't abated yet, they hadn't revealed, they hadn't the ark hadn't rested in the mountains yet because if they had rested in the mountains and the mountaintops were seen then the dove would have found rest for its feet so don't get these verses out of order on the timeline because like I said verses 1 through 5 is a big picture and then verse 6 backs up and shows you some details which is what we find all through the Word of God which makes it very confusing for some folks when it comes to figuring out what happened when you got to look, okay, you see some of these movies, sometimes you watch a, a movie and it, it starts out and it shows a very traumatic scene going on and then, then it'll stop and it'll say, well, six hours earlier, and then it'll back you up and it shows you what happened prior to that. That's the same way the Bible's laid out. It gives you a, a, a big picture and then, okay, let's go back and look at some details of what was happening before this big event that took place. And that's what we see unfolding here in the dis- descriptions of what was going on on the ark and with the waters and the way they were departing and revealing the ground. As it continues in verse 10, And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off, so Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. But see, he was still floating around because if the ark had already landed in the mountains of Ararat, he would have known that the waters had abated. So don't get these verses out of order like I was saying. And he stayed yet other seven days, and yet it sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up, from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So you can take that and then plug that back in to verses one through five, there, where it described when the ark settled in the mountains, and he was able to open up the top of it there. Verse fifteen. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy Sons' wives with thee, bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every beast. Every creeping thing and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after his kind went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and of and offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelt a sweet savour, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease lords in control of everything he controlled this planet he manipulated in ways he wanted to re Model you might say to totally reform and alter the entire earth and the living conditions One of the things that happen as a result of this recrafting and this whole process of the the flood and the cracking of the earth and the fountains of the deep bursting open and the earthquakes that would have occurred because of that, and the volcanoes that would have occurred because of that, a lot of sediments were spewed out up into the atmosphere, a lot of pollution, you might say, and it caused an ice age. You have these people that believe in billions and billions of years, talk about ice ages, multiple ice ages, and some 30,000 years ago they had an ice age, and some before that, and so forth, and and it's all made up junk because the ice age was a result of the flood the ice age kicked in and started to occur immediately after the flood the ice age started shortly after the flood ended which was about 2300 bc and the ice age lasted about 700 years ending up around 1600 bc and for like 500 years There was ice and snow being accumulated, which created to be the big ice caps, the North Pole, the South Pole, the polar ice caps were formed as a result of the influence of the flood, the effects of the flood. The loss of the firmament, the fountains of the deep, when you cracked open the fountains of the deep, the water that would come up out of the earth would have been warm, and the warmer water would evaporate more. But the land was cold because of the volcanic dust was reflecting the sun, so the ground was cold. And when you get all that, you have condensation occurring, a lot of moisture would be in the air, which would start falling as snow and sleet. Ice would start to form. So the polar ice caps were beginning to form. And the continents would be covered with ice in a vast area. It was about 30% of the surface of the earth was then covered with ice. And today there's only about 10% of the earth covered in ice. So as it begins to melt, it reveals more and more land mass and more and more interesting things that were revealed and even that were covered during those several hundred years that all this snow was coming down. Because it would have been coming down for about 500 years, as it said there, but it began to melt afterwards. So it's on a timeline that the Lord has set. The receding of the polar ice caps is controlled by Jesus Christ, and they'll be controlled by Him and continue to be controlled by Him. We can see over in Job, which is the other book we'll be getting into here shortly after Genesis 11 we'll be getting into Job and a timeline but over in Job chapter 37 verse 6 reads for he hath he saith to the snow be thou on the earth likewise to the small rain and to the great rain of his strength he sealeth up the hand of every man that all men may know his work then the beasts go into dens and Remain in their places, out of the south cometh the whirlwind, and cold out of the north. By the breath of God, frost is given, and the breath of the waters is straightened. Straightened means frozen, covered with ice. He covers this whole planet with the, the flood, and then as a result of that, it triggers these other climate changes, as people like to use that term these days. That he is in control of. In chapter 38, verse 22 of Job, we see it say, Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? Referring to what Job would have been familiar with, but you go to that region now and they don't have so much snow and hail and frozen water and so forth because the climate is under control of the Lord and he is changing it as he sees fit and then in chapter 38 verse 30 reads the waters are hid as with a stone talk about frozen and the face of the deep is frozen so we see you go to the area that job was at when he was saying this so the effects of the ice age were still around in that area that job was in but when that book was recorded And written so it's very interesting how we can plug in the facts the truth and see the timeline of how the Lord has controlled everything on this planet including all of the weather controlled by Jesus Christ not by man man cannot cause the weather to change Mankind can pollute the air, pollute the water, make it difficult for us to have healthy life, sure. But he cannot control the the planet. He cannot control when this planet is destroyed. He cannot control the weather. That is in the hands of Jesus Christ. Let's get back into our studies in Genesis. Picking it up in Genesis in chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 reads, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Notice, We have dominion over the animals, not the animals over us. There are many animal worshipers that would prefer animals to be around and mankind to be gone, but man has authority over the animals. Therefore, we have responsibility. Responsibility to look after the animals because we become stewards. Stewards to take care of the planet, of the creatures, mankind, and the animals that are here. We cannot control the weather, no. But we are responsible for taking care of our behavior, our actions, so that they don't mess up what belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord, including all the animals, but He gives us dominion over them. Therefore, He's putting us in a position of stewardship. So we have responsibility. All right, as we continue here, back over in Genesis chapter 9, in verse 3, a very interesting verse here. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, Even as the green herb have I given you all things. Before the flood, he told everybody to consume the vegetation. And after the flood, he says, now you can consume the animals, even the insects. We have permission to do that. Do we desire to do that? Some of them are more desirable than others, yes. But we have permission to consume them. We have those that... Put a spiritual connection to being a vegetarian or a vegan, but there isn't any spiritual connection to it. We have been given permission by the Lord to consume all the critters, because that's what He clearly says. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. That I means you can eat it. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. you're not supposed to consume something with its blood still in it. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man." So, verse 5 and 6 gets into a very controversial issue about capital punishment. Here, he's telling us that if you shed man's blood, this is talking about going to the, to the commandments, you're not supposed to murder someone. If you murder someone, then by man you shall pay for that and be killed. Because it says, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. By man. He's establishing a governmental system, a judicial system. Right here, from the beginning of reestablishing mankind and civilization, he's establishing capital punishment. You have those that are 100% against capital punishment, saying we should not do that. But right here, the Word of God clearly gives us permission for such a matter. Because It clearly says, By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Verse 7, And you, be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you. Covenant means contract, promise, agreement. It reads, And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there Anymore be a flood to destroy the earth, specifically a flood of waters. Because we know, as it's recorded in the New Testament, the Lord is gonna destroy this planet completely, gonna melt everything away, vaporize everything at the appropriate time with fire. There'll be no flood taking out things it'll be fire totally Even the elements themselves will melt with fervent heat, as it says in Second Peter chapter three and in Revelation. Continuing here in Genesis chapter nine, verse twelve. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Token means an a symbol, a something that you can look at and remember I do set my bow in the cloud what we identify as a rainbow because that's typically when we see a rainbow a bow in there is after a rain or during a rain but you can also see a rainbow at times when it isn't raining where you're at you look in a distance the effect of the Sun shining through water can reveal this color pattern which is in the shape of a bow it can be recreated by yourself with images of light. You shine a light through a crystal or shining light through glass. Sometimes you can get this bow effect. You can do this if you're a nice sunny day. You go out with a water hose and you shine it just right in the right angle. You can recreate a, a rainbow, a bow effect in your own yard. And we see this around the sun sometimes. We can see this even around the moon sometimes, this color. And it's the three primary colors, red, yellow, and blue. Across the top, we have the red. In the middle, we have the yellow. And at the bottom, we have the blue. And then the various colors that mingle as these colors fade from one to the other or blend from one to the other. So if you're looking at the rainbow, we have a reminder. This is a reminder to God of the promise that he has made with mankind but mostly it is a reminder for us that he has made that contract and it is a reminder for us we can look at that many philosophers have looked at it and said we can see an entire message in the rainbow you have the red across the top you have the yellow in the middle and the blue at the bottom the blue at the bottom is a reminder Of the flood and if you look very if you have a very brilliant display of a rainbow just below the blue you start to see a little bit of purple forming because it cycles around back to red you have sometimes you see a double rainbow and they're opposite and as it blends back into it into the red so that would be the blue is the flood a reminder of the flood as it gets into the purple was the the blood that was shed during the flood all those that died it's a reminder of that you continue to climb up the rainbow and you get into the yellow yellow is a time of grace that is the time that we are currently under a time of grace and as you continue to climb on up you get into the red the red is a a prophecy of what is to come that is the fire the fire that will destroy the planet. That is a reminder of the rainbow when you see that, that it has been judged by water. Currently we are under grace, but eventually it's going to be fire. So when you look at the rainbow, that's what you can see, a promise from the Lord and a prophecy as well, all within that. Now, of course, we know back in the 60s, there was a group that took the rainbow and they were an antichrist group and they were the rainbow people and they started using that as a symbol of their, their horrible antichrist organization. Later, and as of now, the LGBTQ, XYZ, and everything else under the sun bunch have chosen the rainbow as their symbol because they use it as a symbol of diversity, various colors, various attitudes, behaviors, and so forth. But it's Satan, Satan trying to take something that is godly and turn it into something that is ungodly, which he has done all the way from day one. And we see that all through the, the scriptures and the history. So don't let the the evil antichrist bunch steal the rainbow. The rainbow is a Christian symbol, not a satanic symbol that they're trying to turn it into. All right, back into it here. Back to verse 13 again. Genesis chapter 9, verse 13 where it reads I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud it didn't happen before the flood because the effects of the Sun were not able to create a rainbow because of the firmament It filtered out certain waves, light waves, light rays, that didn't form. But afterwards, because he took away the firmament, then it allowed that to form. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is a token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. In verse 18, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. So now he gets into some of the genealogies here and some of the events that took place that are very interesting, such as Noah getting drunk. These are the three sons of Noah and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman or a person who planted some crops and here he was planting a vineyard. And he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. It said that because of the effects of the flood, because of the changes, because of the increased decay and rotting of things, that this wine that he had, which was grape juice, that it had fermented, that it wasn't that he set him up a still and made him some wine, that it fermented. It's saying that he maybe mistakenly consumed some that was fermented and got drunk, or maybe he discovered that, hey, this stuff gives me a buzz, I'm going to keep letting it get rotten and doing it. There's Different ideas, whether he intentionally did this to get drunk or whether he mistakenly drank something that resulted in him getting drunk. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant, God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant, And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Notice that the Lord did not use Noah, did not have anything else recorded about Noah's accomplishments after he got drunk. So people then assumed that Noah knew what he was doing when he got drunk, and that that was against the Lord's direction and guidance, that he should not have done such a thing. And therefore, the Lord just quit using him. No other record of Noah's activities because he lived after the flood 350 years. But we have nothing recorded of his behavior or his activities. Some say because he got drunk. And also, a lot of people put a lot of credence in this curse that he put upon Canaan and wonder why did the curse go on Canaan instead of Ham when Ham was the one that did the shameful thing. But Canaan was Ham's son, so he figured that may be the best way to get back in Ham, to curse his son. But you figure, what authority or what ability or what power did a, an old drunk man have because he decides to curse one of his grandkids? So there are other events that took place that wound up Canaan and the descendants of Canaan becoming pretty rambunctious evil folks. The Canaanites, which we see gave a lot of disturbance to the children of Israel, the other children of Israel in the future, descendants of this Canaan. So maybe that was part of the curse. And there's other speculation about the curse, but we might touch on that a little bit when we get into the generations, but let's close right here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you all so much for your word. These bits and pieces of the history that we have help us to have a clearer picture of what you want us to know, to use it and apply it properly and encourage us to share with others, to draw them closer to you. Let us all know and recognize and proclaim that you are the God in control of everything. We thank you all so much for being in control as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.